0: What's going on, Mark Cat Tanner? Hoops with you Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Week three of the NFL season almost in the books. One more to go tonight. We've got the Monday Night Football thriller the Bears and the Redskins. I know, I know what you're thinking, but I'm glad there's football on Monday. That's all I'm thankful for, and I'm thankful to be able to come at you and talk with you as I love to do every weekday here from 4 to 5 on ESPN-UP. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got football, we've got college football, we've got a little baseball too because one week from today, the regular season in 2019 will have come and gone. We are just about set for playoff baseball and I am here for it. I can't wait. We're going to have a lot of that coming up over the course of the next hour or so. I'm going to have a very special guest join me here in about 15 minutes. By now I'm sure you've heard this story. A young man in Ames, Iowa. I love that about him. He's from Iowa. I love that. So he went to college game day a couple weeks ago when it was at the Iowa -Iowa State game with a sign that said, my Bushlight supply needs restocking put up his Venmo information. He got about, I don't know, a few hundred dollars or so and then he decided that he was going to donate it. Well, that few hundred grew to a thousand and now it's grown over a million and he is going to join the show here in about 15 minutes. The Bushlight Venmo guy, also known as Carson King, is going to be here in the sports pen in about 15 minutes. I'm going to ask him about really his amazing endeavor. I tell you what, he was maybe the easiest interview I've ever booked in my life. All of us Iowans have a connection with each other. I just messaged him. I said who I work for, and I said, I'm from Iowa. Do you want to come on my show? He's just like, yes, exclamation mark, and we worked it out from there. It was the easiest interview I've ever booked, and it's going to be a fun one, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But let's start by recapping the NFL from Sunday, take it through game by game, give you my thoughts on it, wrap things up here quick. The Buffalo Bills are 3-0. Buffalo, 21-17 winners yesterday over Cincy. I don't know if I saw Buffalo being 3-0. I didn't see Cincinnati 0-3. Yeah, I saw Andy Dalton start to make strides, and he, and he had an okay game yesterday. Andy Dalton finishes the game 20 of 36, 249 yards and a passing touchdown, but he was picked off twice. Josh Allen, I'm not ready to say that he's for real yet. I'm not ready to say that he's sneaky good because just like the Cowboys, the Bills are 3-0 and because of a product of their schedule. The Bills have gone through the Jets, the Giants, and the Bengals. It's not exactly the gauntlet. I'm still waiting to see. But they play the Patriots this weekend. A battle of 3-0 teams. So we'll see. We'll see what the Bills are really made of. The Cowboys and the Dolphins. I'm talking about another team who is 3-0 because their schedule. Cowboys start slow, but they roll, and they end up winning 31-6. to I tell you what, Dak Prescott... Another pretty good game. 19-32, 246 yards, and two passing touchdowns was intercepted once. Was this surprising? Did Tony Pollard have a better game than Ezekiel Elliott? Elliott carried the ball six more times for 22 more yards, which means Pollard carried the ball for about eight yards a carry, uh, Elliott 6.6 yards per carry, and Pollard had the only touchdown between the two. Is there a change in the guard the Dallas backfield? No, not even close, but... Dallas has everybody rolling yesterday as they get the win over Miami to move to 3-0. Speaking of 3-0, Green Bay. That defense gives Flacco all kinds of problems. Green Bay gets it rolling. They're wearing those throwback uniforms. Mixed opinions on those. I, play, I personally, I like them. I like them. I like that kind of throwback, that vintage look. Green Bay beats Denver yesterday at Lambeau 27-16. to How about Indianapolis? You know what? This turned out to be... A pretty good quarterback battle as Indy took down Atlanta 27-24. to On Atlanta's side, Matt Ryan, 29-34, 304 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He's pretty good. Pretty good on the day, that one interception. Other than that, not too bad at all. But Jacoby Brissett, I mean, the Colts might actually have a quarterback. 28-37, of 37, 310 yards, and two passing touchdowns. Hey, is Jacoby Brissett for real? The Colts are 2-1, we know that's for real. Atlanta, what a disappointment they, but they should be 0-3 right now. Thankfully for them, they are 1-2. The Chiefs, 33-28 winners over Baltimore. This is the one that we thought would be the ultimate quarterback battle. Patrick Mahomes, more like Patrick Mahal-of-Famer. 27-37, 374 yards and three touchdowns, wasn't intercepted. He becomes the youngest quarterback and the fastest quarterback to reach 60 career touchdowns, passing Dan Marino. Lamar Jackson, he wasn't too bad. 22 of 43, 267 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. Also rushed the ball eight times for 46 yards. He did score a touchdown run in the football, though. Not a bad game. Just not as good as his first two. Kansas City, 3-0. Patrick Mahomes, he is a Hall of Famer. He is playing Madden. The rest of us are playing Tecmo Bowl. The Vikings beat Oakland 34-14. I tell you what, that Oakland defense early on... They came back to earth pretty quickly. Dalvin is cooking something. He's cooking something good for Vikings fans. He is the NFL's leading rusher. Carried the ball 16 times for 110 yards, including a touchdown yesterday. Kirk Cousins, eh. Okay, bouncing back from Green Bay 15 to 21, 174 yards, one touchdown was not picked. Derek Carr, though, was pretty good on the other side 27 to 34, 242 yards, two touchdowns, and he was picked once. Vikings offense got rolling. By the way, the Vikings are on pace to run on 58% of their offensive plays this year. That would be the most since ESPN has been keeping track of that stat. The Vikings on pace to run the ball 58 times, and that is exactly what Mike Zimmer wants. And as long as Dalvin Cook stays healthy, that's going to work for him. The Patriots roll past the New York Jets, 30-14. To Tom Brady, he just doesn't age. Ageless Tom, good as ever. 28-42, 306 yards, two touchdowns. Jared Stidham did come in toward the end of the game, went 2-3, for three, 14 yards. The only problem was that one pass he didn't complete was picked off. Rex Burkhead, my new fantasy running back because of the injury to Saquon Barkley we'll get to in a moment. 11 rushes for 47 yards, including one touchdown. You're going to have to do better, Rex, for my sanity, for my fantasy team. I need you to be a little bit better. Uh, New York Jets on their side. Luke Falk, 12-22 for 98 yards. No touchdowns. He was intercepted once. Le'Veon Bell, 18 carries for 35 yards yesterday. No touchdowns. Starting to think taking that year off maybe wasn't in his best interest. By the way, he's coming off injury. He's already carried the ball 76 times. That is third most in NFL history for a team that's 0-3. 76 carries through your first three games is the third most in NFL history for a team that started 0-3. That's short for the Jets are overusing Le'Veon Bell. He is not healthy enough to handle this. He doesn't have the line to handle this. And it's not going to end well. If you're wondering, the record for most rushes during a 0-3 start to the season, Adrian Peterson back in 2013 with the Vikings. The Lions are still undefeated. They beat the Eagles 27-24. The Lions 2-0-1. I tell you what, Matt Stafford... 18-32, 18-32, to 32, 201 yards, and a touchdown. Not overly impressive numbers, but they were good enough when they needed to be. Carry on Johnson? Kind of the same way. 20 carries for 36 yards? Did have a touchdown, though. But a game where Stafford and Johnson, you don't, not bad games. Especially not Stafford. Johnson, maybe. Especially when you have those kind of days, you'd think it spells bad news for the Lions. Playing a team like the Eagles, and yet Marvin Jones Jr. stepped up big time. Six catches, hundred one yards, and a TD. Marvin Jones Jr. helps lead the Lions past Philadelphia, twenty seven to twenty four. Carson Wentz in that game, by the way, as the Eagles suffer their second straight loss, nineteen to thirty six, two hundred fifty nine yards, and two passing touchdowns. Continuing on, who is Kyle Allen? That's what everybody was wondering. That, that's what me myself was on, was uh, was wondering as we went into Sunday. Who exactly is Kyle Allen? Well, he's a guy who threw for four touchdowns as Carolina beat Arizona 38 to 20. Allen was 19 to 26, 261 yards. He was not picked in addition to those four touchdown passes. Christian McCaffrey, 24 carries, 153 yards including a touchdown. And I tell you what, Maybe we're sleeping on Carolina a little bit as long as Kyle Allen is there. Now, they, they made the announcement today. They are not going to rush Cam Newton back. And Kyle Allen is making that a pretty good decision. He's making the decision easier for Carolina. Kyle Allen, maybe the next big thing over in Carolina? Eh, still too early to tell him. They did play Arizona. The New York Giants are victorious, 32-31. They rallied to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for their first win of the season. New York trailed by 18 at the half. Daniel Jones making his first career NFL start. I tell you what, Daniel Jones was something. 23-36, of 36, 236 yards, two touchdowns. He was not picked. He rushed for two touchdowns. He threw for two more. He becomes only the second quarterback in league history since the AFL-NFL merger of 1970. Only the second quarterback to ever run for two, and throw for two touchdowns in his NFL debut. The only other, former Detroit Lion quarterback, Larry Hipple. And that's all that Giants fans are hoping for, is that Danny Jones, Danny Dimes, can grow up to be the next Eric Hipple. They did lose Saquon Barkley's diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. Barkley carried the ball eight times for 10 yards, did not score. He will be out about four to six weeks. There go my fantasy teams. But I tell you what, a revenge tour for Dave Gettleman is coming up because the Giants rallied and Daniel Jones scored the game-winning touchdown. And now I'm just waiting for the gentleman revenge tour. I'm going to love it. Just drag everybody, Dave. I tell you what, if you watch that final touchdown, what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown, Jones saw that the field was wide open in front of him because the Buccaneers were playing man. They were double-teaming Ingram. Everybody else, they were going man, which means nobody's on the quarterback. Jones saw the middle of the field exposed, and he exploited it. I tell you what, the Buccaneers still had their chance to do it, but Matt Gay missed a couple of key kicks in that one. Missed the extra point in the first quarter, and then missing the potential game-winning field goal as time expired. I know Bruce Arians is the quarterback whisperer, but maybe he needs to become the kicker whisperer because they left a lot of points off the board with their special teams yesterday. Cost them a win, but the Giants get that victory. The most disappointed people to see that happen, Ben McAdoo and Eli Manning. The Houston Texans 27-20 winners over the L.A. Chargers yesterday. And Phillip Rivers, you just got to feel lost right now. 31-46, of 46, 318 yards and two touchdowns. He had a really good game, but man, look at the guys around him. It's Philip Rivers, Keenan Allen was there. He had a good game, 13 uh, receptions for 183 yards, and he caught two touchdown passes. Those two had good games. And beyond them, there's not a lot with this Charger team that raised expectations with what they did last year. Houston, meanwhile, they continue to show why they're my pick to win the AFC South. Deshaun Watson, 25-34, of 34, 351 yards, and three passing touchdowns was not intercepted. If I were to tell you that one team in the Steelers-49ers game would be 3-0 and right here today on Monday, September 23rd, and the other would be 0-3, you would have thought it'd be the Steelers, right? No because Jimmy Garoppolo leads the 49ers late with a game winning touchdown pass in the waning minutes of that one and San Francisco beats the Steelers 24 to 20. I tell you what, some teams will look at the 49ers and think that's an easy game. That's a break in the se- that's a soft spot in the schedule. That's not the case anymore. 49ers are looking like they could be fairly formidable. They didn't look good yesterday beating Pittsburgh, and granted this is with Mason Rudolph at the quarterback position. But it's a win nonetheless, and the 49ers have three of them in three games. I don't know if he was ever officially here. I know he would have got his shot if he didn't get hurt, but I don't know if he's actually been here. Regardless, Teddy Bridgewater is back. A 33-27 win on the road against one of the best defenses in the NFL, Russell Wilson, at home. And Teddy Bridgewater, it's Teddy time, 19-27, 177 yards and two touchdowns. Not overly impressive, but good enough to win. He was good enough to step in there and breeze New Orleans out of Seattle with a win. And finally, uh, Sunday night football last night. Sunday night, Rams-Browns. I tell you what, the Rams haven't looked overly impressive. First couple of weeks were pretty good. Last night wasn't so much. Goff did throw two touchdowns, but I tell you what, I'm even more shocked at Baker Mayfield. Maybe I'm just bitter because I wasted a few weeks of fantasy football on him. Baker Mayfield, more like Faker Mayfield. I tell you what, he's one of the worst fourth quarter quarterbacks in the NFL. I want you to give me college Baker, the guy who talked trash, then backed it up in the fourth quarter. Not NFL Baker, the guy who talks trash, and he has a QBR of 30 in the fourth quarter as an NFL quarterback. By the way, that is 33rd of 35 qualifying quarterbacks. His interception to touchdown ratio, nine picks, seven TDs as an NFL quarterback in the fourth quarter. And Baker's one of those guys that needs to get the ball out of his hands. He's not a pocket passer, but he's got receivers. He's got to stay in there at some point. You look just at the box score last night, you would have thought Aaron Donald had an off game. He did get his first sack, but Aaron Donald was a nightmare for Baker last night. He was involved in every play. Baker, I tell you what, here's his completion percentage when he has the ball for less than two and a half seconds. 73%, three touchdowns, one pick this year. When he has the ball longer than two and a half seconds, 48% completion rating, no touchdowns, four picks. When he holds to the ball longer than two and a half seconds, his completion percentage goes from 73 to 48. Baker, come on. Come on, man. Cleveland now with 70 straight games where they finish without a winning record. That streak dates back to 2014. This is a five-year-old streak. 70 straight games where Cleveland does not have a winning record. Other NFL news and notes for you. Of course, you heard that Antonio Brown was gone from New England, went on his Twitter tirade yesterday, promptly deleted a lot of those tweets, calling out Ben Roethlisberger, Robert Kraft. I tell you what, I don't know. When he's going to play in the NFL again, I do think he'll get a shot, though. I do think somebody a few years down the road is going to have a need. They're going to have a need, and they're going to take a shot on him. Jacksonville Jaguars quarter Jalen Ramsey, who, again, not happy with the team. We uh, saw him play Thursday night what we thought might be his final Jacksonville game. Well, he called in sick to practice today. He's saying he might be out for the entire week. Do NFL players get sick days? What he should have done is just trolled him and called in with mono because apparently he texted Tom Coughlin last night at 2.30 in the morning. I didn't know Tom Coughlin texted, but apparently that's what Jalen Ramsey did. And I don't know if he was up because he was actually sick, but I think I know better. So Jalen Ramsey, still waiting to see what happens with him. If he could get traded during this hour, during this show, we'll break it for you. Well, I tell you what, I'm being told my guest is ready. When we come back, we'll talk a little baseball plus... We're going to talk with the bush Light guy himself. Carson King is going to join me on the ESPN-UP phone line from Ames, Iowa. That interview next on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP
0: app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Well, if you haven't heard this story, it's a really cool one, and it comes out of Iowa, so I'm partial to it. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago briefly, but in case you missed it, at college game day, when it was in Ames, Iowa, a couple of weeks ago for the Iowa State game, there was a fan who was caught on camera with a sign that said, my Bushlight light supply needs restocking, and gave his Venmo information. He's since gone viral and raised a considerable amount of money, and he has announced that he is going to donate those proceeds to a children's hospital back in iowa and several companies such as bush light and venmo themselves have offered to match his donation we're joined by the man who made it all happen the bush light venmo guy carson king kind enough to give us some time and join us on the espn up phone line carson first of all i really appreciate you taking the time being on with us secondly how cool is this seeing how everything transpired for you hey thank you um
2: so It started out as a joke, actually. I didn't think anyone would see the sign. No, I didn't think it would get on TV. Um, I thought, like, best case scenario that could come out of this would be someone in the crowd behind me sees this and uh, (laughs) sends, like, 20 bucks for a case of Bush Lattes. But, you know, look where we are now, I guess.
0: Well, Carson, when you first made that sign, brought it to the set, did you have any idea that this would all turn into this, that it would all transpire into what it has today?
2: Oh, no, no absolutely
0: not at what point did you have the idea that you wanted to donate the money to a children's hospital
2: so right at around six hundred dollars was when i decided i was going to start uh sending it to a hospital
0: was it a hospital specifically or did you have some other options in mind
2: oh there were all kinds of different options there's uh there's great different hospitals here in iowa um i actually called my family and let them know what i was thinking and talked about. then we kind of agreed upon uh, the Stead Family Children's Hospital because they do such fantastic work. Um, You know, they give the families and the kids so much time together. They're just, you know, they're outstanding.
0: Well, and Venmo and Bush Light are just some of the companies that have offered to match your donation. What are you up to now? How much money have you raised?
2: So we're up to a total of, after all the contributions come in, of over (laughs) $1,065,000.
0: Are you hearing from people all over the country, the world? I mean, the outreach on this has got to be huge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it really hasn't slowed down at all since we started doing this. Um, the big spike was with obviously like when I was on GMA and people started seeing that. Uh, but, it's, yeah, it hasn't slowed down at all. The contributions go from $0.05 cents to $1,000. So it's anything and everything people are sending. It's awesome.
0: Are you still accepting money? Would you be willing to give your Venmo information?
2: Absolutely. I'm going until the end of this month. Carson-King-25. All
0: right, so if you want to donate to Carson's cause, you can do so. All proceeds go to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, and all donations are matched by both Bush Light and Venmo themselves. Well, Carson, I know you weren't in this for personal reasons, but Bush Light did something really cool for you. You had a custom-made can with yourself on it. How about that?
2: That's incredible. I When they told me about it, I, I lost my mind. I couldn't stop smiling and laughing. It was so cool.
0: Now, have they given you any of these cans, or are they still in production? What are the status of those?
2: So, they gave me the very first can uh, when I was in New York. Uh, the marketing headquarters is there. They got one drawn up and, and uh, you know made for me so I could bring it around and show some people. So, I have the one and only can right now, and then the rest will be, be given to me later.
0: All right, so Carson, where do you go from here? What's the next step in your project?
2: Um, actually, with all of this, I think I'm going to start doing something like maybe uh, raising awareness, or you know, putting the good word out there for a bunch of cool different uh, organizations and groups that are out there around you know Iowa, the Midwest, and the country, you know, doing cool things, helping people out. I think I'd like to, you know, give them some credit and see if I can't help them out somehow.
0: Well, Carson, when you're not out raising money, you're not on college game day, what is life like for you then?
2: So I'm a, just a regular working stiff. Uh, I work as a, an armed officer here at uh, Prairie Meadows Casino in Altoona, Iowa. Um, I'm actually here at work right now. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like to go kayaking and fishing and, you know, big outdoors guys. So I just spend a lot of time enjoying myself and my friends.
0: A big Cyclones fan?
2: Huge Cyclones fan, yep.
0: What kind of year do you think they'll have?
2: I'd say I'd give them room for one more loss, and then that's it. I think they're going to have a great season, great year.
0: Carson King joins us on the ESPN-UP phone line. He is better known as the Bush Light Venmo guy. Carson, really appreciate you taking the time, coming on air with us. Thank you for all you're doing. Keep up the good work. Hey,
2: thank you so much.
0: Well, I tell you what, I want to move on to baseball for the rest of the segment because we're seven days away from the regular season coming to an end postseason baseball right around the corner but next week's gonna be a tough day for several in the managerial position because it will be black monday just like they have in the nfl managers whose teams didn't make the playoffs are at risk of losing their jobs so who is on the hot seat one week from today who will not be managing a major league baseball team joe madden's at the forefront of the list the cubs got swept by the cardinals in fact here's a weird weird stat The Cubs got swept in four games by the Cardinals, losing by one run in every game this weekend. The only other time in baseball history that a team has been swept in a four-game series, losing all games by one run, was in 1919. The Boston Red Sox were that team. And now exactly 100 years later, it happens to the Chicago Cubs, it doesn't eliminate them from the postseason but it's going to make it really, really tough to try and climb back into it. Down four games with six games to go. To me, it looks like the National League playoff picture is set. Now, there are a few teams that aren't eliminated mathematically yet. The Cubs are four games out. The Mets four and a half. The Phillies six. The Diamondbacks six with six games to go. But really, barring a major collapse, you can pencil in those top five teams. The Dodgers, Braves, Cardinals, Nationals, and Brewers all making the postseason in the National League. Now, what does that mean for Joe Madden? It means he's probably out of a job. I don't know that that's the right move, but I think it's the move that the Cubs will make. It's not just Joe Madden. There has to be a lot that changes other than Joe Madden if the Cubs expect to get back to the playoffs next year. I'm talking about going out and signing consistent contact hitters, reliable guys who can get on base, having a decent leadoff hitter, a reliable bullpen. It just wasn't there for the Cubs this year. And Joe Madden is going to be the guy that the hammer falls on. So one week from now, the Cubs will make it official. They'll announce that the man who led them to a World Series three years ago, their first one in over 100 years, they'll announce that he has been relieved of his managerial duties. I tell you what, I say with all confidence that the Cubs are not even trying to get into the playoffs anymore this year. This weekend was the final blow. Now they're just looking ahead to 2020. And they're looking ahead to who is going to replace Joe Madden in the offseason. The answer being Joe Girardi. It hasn't gone public yet, but you got to know it's happening somewhere under the table. Joe Girardi is on his way to be the next manager of the Chicago Cubs. You can bank on it. How about in the American League? You've got six teams that are fighting for the playoffs there. You've got two that have clinched. The Astros clinched their division last night, and the Yankees clinched the East last week. Yeah, Minnesota currently leading their division. They're up four games on Cleveland with six games to go, meaning the twins will probably win the central barring a massive collapse. Although Cleveland's played really well lately, they've won ten of their last thirteen. They have managed to tie Tampa Bay for the second wildcard spot. They're both ninety-two and sixty-four. Oakland has the top wild card spot at ninety-four and sixty-two. Just think of Oakland didn't take the first half of every season off. It always seems like they start slow and then they have a massive second half and get right back into the wild card race. Astros are always going to win that division, it seems like. But the A's will always have a strong second half, except 2014. That was the year it was flipped. They had a strong first half and then they died out. You had the news out of the American League Central today that Ned Yost was going to step down as manager of the Kansas City Royals after this year. 57-100. and 100. That is Kansas City's record entering the final week of the regular season. Yost took the Royals to the World Series twice, 2014-2015. They won it in 2015. But they haven't done much since. In fact, they've gotten consistently worse. Yet because of what he did, because he brought that title to Kansas City for the first time since 1985, Dayton Moore, that front office, the ownership, were fiercely loyal to Yost. And even though the Royals have put out some really bad teams the last couple of years, they remembered that championship and how much it meant to that community. And they were going to let him go out on his own terms, which they've done. Pretty polar opposite than the Chicago Cubs. They have a manager who won a championship more recently than Kansas City did. After a much longer drought than Kansas City had. And the Cubs are going to get rid of their guy who's going to finish this season with a winning record. Meanwhile, the Royals aren't going to be the ones to axe their manager with 100 losses this year. They're going to let him go out on his own terms. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying look at the contrast between those two franchises. The Cubs want to win. The Royals got their championship. They'll be complacent for another 30 years. Final week of the regular season and then the playoffs. And again, ESPN-UP is going to have the playoffs for you all October long. And it's our hope that you're here for it. Don't forget, we've got one more weekend of regular season baseball coming up this weekend. We will have the Cubs-Cardinals at Bush Stadium Saturday and Sunday. Saturday at 6.30, Sunday at 2.30. Hope to have you tuned in for it. Let's take another time out. When we come back, what do we learn about the college football landscape this weekend? How is it changing? I got some answers and clarity next on ESPN UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at four on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app.
0: Welcome back to the sports pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Here's your Sports Center update. The Brooklyn Nets have painted their court gray for the upcoming season. Yeah, they're not going with the traditional wood look, color, whatever you call that. The Nets are going to play on a gray court, which apparently is legal in the NBA. Antonio Brown announced via social media that he has re-enrolled in classes at Central Michigan University. Fire up chips. And finally, a rumor about Cardi B has gone viral on social media, claiming that the rapper's real name is Cardigan Backyardigan. It's not. I don't know what her real name is, but it's not that. I tell you what, a reminder, programming note coming up on Thursday. We will have the sports pen on the road. I'll be live from Calumet. I'm going to have interviews, some guests coming on throughout the day. But we're going to be there for Hockeyville, and we're going to preview the Red Wings-Blues game that night. The Stanley Cup is already up there. The Stanley Cup is on display in Calumet as we speak, and the players are going to be arriving here in a couple of days. Wings have a game tonight, though. Wings are playing the Islanders. So it's still going to be a couple of days, but we're going to chat with pretty much everybody has got something to say. All that and more is going to come up on Thursday, same time, but I'm going to be out of the studio that day. I'll be up in Calumet for Hockeyville. It's my hope you join me for a very special episode. Well, I tell you what, we learned a lot about college football this weekend. We learned some stuff. Whether we wanted to or not, whether it was good or bad, we learned. I tell you what, Saturday night, I was so excited for this one. You know, and it really didn't disappoint, I'll be honest with you. I was watching my beloved Notre Dame fighting Irish. Played Georgia in a really good game. They got beat 23-17. Notre Dame, you know, they got some respect back on the national level. You could say it's a quality loss, that it's a moral victory of sorts. They hung right in there, had a chance to win with the ball in Georgia's half of the field with under a minute to go down six. Just couldn't pull it out. And yet at the same point, I know that's true. I know it was a quality loss, if there's such thing. It was a moral victory. It was a step in the right direction for Notre Dame. And at the same point, I'm upset at myself for thinking that way. Because a program like Notre Dame shouldn't be one that takes pride in moral victories. I don't think I'm just being a fan by saying that. I think a program as storied as that one shouldn't be reduced to moral victories. And I think there are a lot of programs that are like that. So it made me wonder... If we're restacking, we're re-tiering college football, where is everybody going? Obviously, the top tier is Alabama and Clemson. There's no question. Those two are on a level of their own. Right now, they are the title favorites. They're the heavyweights. They're expected to meet in the national championship every year unless someone says otherwise. Those two are living in the penthouse of college football. So who's just below them? My second tier is, college football playoff contenders. Let's go with my first one in this group, the second tier of college football. I'm going to go with Georgia. Georgia's that team that is right on the cusp of doing something special every single year. Two years ago, they were in the national championship, went to overtime, but fell to Alabama. You can make the argument they should have won that game. A couple of things go differently, and Georgia's national champions. Last year, they weren't a college football playoff team. They had two losses, they were one of the best four teams in college football. I don't have any doubt about that, but they didn't deserve to get in because there were a lot of other good teams that were deserving with better records in Georgia. Nonetheless, is there anybody that felt like Georgia couldn't have contended for last year's national championship? Georgia is right there. They're right there underneath where Bama and Clemson are. You got to win something first for me to put you up there. 1980 isn't soon enough. And keep in mind, these aren't my tiers for 2019. These are my tiers for college football as a whole from the last generation or so. Teams that you feel are right on the cusp of contending or have their programs fallen away to the point where they're taking pride in moral victories. I don't think Georgia is a school like that. Georgia, for me, is at the top of the second tier in college football. Again, top tier, Bama Clemson. Who else is in that second tier? Teams that are going to make the run for the college football playoff. They are championship outsiders. I put Oklahoma up there. Lincoln Riley may not be there beyond this season. I don't think he will be. But Oklahoma has a culture there. They've had great coaches. They continue to make the right hire over and over. Not a lot of programs can say that. Oklahoma perennially looks like they are going to run the Big 12. At least for the near future, the Big 12 is going to run through Norman. And they are going to have a shot at the college football playoff every year. They may not have Lincoln Riley in the sideline beyond this season. They may not have guys like Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. But then again, they might. Then again, they've hit on the right hires before. Who says they couldn't do it again? Oklahoma is at the point right now where you expect them to contend for not only the Big 12, but the college football playoff every year. Oklahoma is in my second tier of college football programs. One more team I'm going to put in that second tier, and that's Ohio State. You know, I don't think Ohio State's as good as they were. In fact, you could convince me. If I sat down and put on my convinced hat, you sat across from me here in the studio, put on your persuasion hat, you could probably make a case and sway me that the glory days are starting to fade for Ohio State. Because I'm not sure how much I believe in Ryan Day. They haven't given me a reason to think that their glory days are ending. They haven't given me any reason to think that, but I do, I do think that. But for now, Ohio State is still a team that is expected to contend for the Big Ten and expected to be a college football playoff team. Maybe not a national champion anymore. Maybe their national champion days are behind them. I think that went out the door with Urban, maybe even before Urban left but they're still going to be one of those teams that's always going to contend for the Big Ten and the college football playoff. For how much longer? I don't know. But as of right now, they are in the second tier. They're just below the penthouse. So those are my top two tiers of college football. The penthouse is Clemson-Bama. The contenders, level two, you've got Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Level three, tier three, college football. These are the teams that are in the conversation But being in the conversation and being a real contender are two very different things. So these are teams that are always pretty good. They're always going to contend for a title of some sorts. They're always going to play in a major bowl game, have good years, win 10, 11, maybe even 12 games. But they're not college football national championship contenders yet. That's the category I'm putting Notre Dame in. Notre Dame's up there. They made the college football playoff last year, and they deserve to, going undefeated. You can say what you want about their schedule. But Notre Dame is always one of those teams that's being talked about that's always in the top 10, maybe even higher than that. You know, and they contend with teams like Georgia. Maybe not Clemson, but again, they're in a higher level. But Notre Dame can contend with teams like Georgia, teams like Oklahoma, teams like Ohio State. But they're not ready to be actual championship contenders. They haven't given me any reason to think that. The national title in 2012, 2013, I guess, if you want to be technical about it, and the college football playoff, they got blown out in those. They haven't given me reason to think that they're a championship contender yet. They'll be in the conversation, and maybe they'll be a playoff team again here in a few years. But that's where they are from. That's all they are for me right now is in the conversation. And again, that's where you start taking pride in moral victories, which, again, I don't think is Notre Dame standard. I don't think a lot of schools want that as their standard. But that's where Notre Dame is right now. Who else is in that tier? I put Texas in that tier. Texas is not quite a national championship contender. I thought they could be a playoff team if they got by Oklahoma. I don't know if they're going to do that right now. But they're a team that just seems to be on the outside looking in. Just on the fringe of making the college football playoff. they got a good group there. I think they have the coach to do it. And they made a statement in the Sugar Bowl last year. Take nothing away from Texas. But when I think of national championship contenders, I don't think of Texas. They'll be in the conversation that, you know, some stuff goes right. They win the Big 12, going undefeated. Yeah, they might make the college football playoff. Now, they won't go undefeated because they lost to LSU, who is the third team that I'm putting in this tour. LSU is another team that perennially is right there, right along the top five at some points in the season. They play in the SEC. you think if they didn't, if they played the Pac-12, they'd probably win that conference and probably be a playoff team every other year or so. But Joe Burrows is legit. And this might be the year, if any, that they can push through into the college football playoff. I do think the SEC is going to get two teams in there this year. I know they have two deserving as of right now, between Alabama and Georgia. LSU, I'd like to think they're deserving because I like Joe Burrows, but I'm not ready to trust him yet. But those are the three teams that I have in tier three, Notre Dame, Texas, LSU, schools that are really good. They're in the upper echelon of college football, but they're still settling for moral victories. They're still not in the real conversation for the national championship. They're just on the outside looking in. How about tier four, if we keep going a little bit farther with this group, who would we have in the next tier? Schools that really aren't in the national championship conversation, although at times they've given us reason to think they could be. You could put Auburn in there, Bo Nix, eh, jury's still out on him, jury's still out on him. He's looked good at times, there's some stuff that he does really well. I put Florida in that category. I don't think Florida is going to be a playoff team in the near future. I don't know that Dan Mullen is that type of coach. I don't know that they're going to get it done playing in the SEC with the style of football that they have and just the sheer lack of talent they have. Felipe Franks was just not a good quarterback, and now he's out. Yeah, they rolled past Tennessee this weekend, if you heard that on ESPN-UP, but they should have. Florida is one of those teams that's in the upper echelon. You can consider them one of the... One of the VIPs in the country club of college football. But they're not going to the private rooms. They're not going to the penthouse. They're one of the better programs. They'll be a top 20-something team every year. But they're not in one of those top three tiers. Not yet. Auburn's up there, too. I think you can put... Do I want to put Washington up there? Because nobody believes Washington is a real championship contender. They made the playoff, what was it, in 2016? I think the actual playoff wasn't 17, but it was the 2016 season. But should they have been there was one thing. I don't know if I want to put Washington up there, but I feel like I need to represent the Pac-12 at least a little bit. Maybe Oregon's a better example because no one believes they're going to the national championship. And yet, are they the best team in the Pac-12 right now? Are they the best represent, uh, representative of that conference? I don't know. jury's still out on if I want to put Washington and Oregon in there. And then you got teams like Wisconsin and Michigan. This is about where I put Michigan. And I don't want to let one game, especially one that just happened, with recency bias still in the picture, I don't want that to happen. But guys, Michigan can't get blown out like that against a team that's not even supposed to win the Big Ten and be in the conversation for a national championship or a college football playoff. That's why I have Michigan in the fourth tier. They're in the upper echelon. They're one of the better teams in college football, but I'm going to put them on the same par as teams like Florida, like Auburn. I think you can put Wisconsin in there too. Although Wisconsin has actually been in the conversation the last few years, they just haven't been able to live up to those kind of expectations. That's been the biggest knock against them. Yet they're still among the better programs in college football. That's about where I would put them. I don't know if I missed anybody. Did I miss anybody? I'm not sure that I did. Texas A&M, I guess you could put another one in there. If you had all these tiers of college football, at least those would be the top four for me. I would have Clemson, Bama, and the Penthouse. Tier number two, I'm going to go with Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio State. Tier number three, Texas, Notre Dame, LSU. And then tier four, schools like Wisconsin, Texas A&M, Oregon, maybe Washington, Auburn, Michigan, schools like that. Did I say Florida? All those schools would get thrown in there for me. Schools that are not quite in the conversation, but they're always going to finish with about 9, 10, something wins like that. I tell you what, let's uh, let's take that last time out. Let's get to our Harbaugh segment next on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: If you missed any of our show today, no worries. You can get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com. We're going to play over-under in a second as we do every Monday to close out the show. Play over-under on the college football. Top 25 games coming up this weekend, but first I want to talk a little about Jim Harbaugh. Because what happened Saturday was not pretty, and I'm a Notre Dame fan, but Michigan doesn't deserve something like that. Michigan is too storied of a program to have to go through something like that. This was a team that had legitimate college football playoff aspirations at the beginning of the year. Right now, that's not going to happen. In fact, Michigan, at best, what, are they going to finish 10-3? and 3? With an Outback Bowl win? Because the team that they're putting on the field right now is not going to beat Notre Dame. It's not going to beat Ohio State. It might lose another game they're not supposed to. Now, I'm not saying that Michigan should have beat Wisconsin, but they should have been in that game. It should have been a close, competitive game. It should have been a fun one that came down to the last second. And it was anything but that. If you would have told Michigan fans at the beginning of the year that four weeks in, the upside looks like a 10-3 and Outback Bowl win almost everybody would have lost their collective minds. Now I think a lot of Michigan fans would be happy if that was the outcome. And Michigan is a program, despite my Notre Dame bias, deserves better than 10-3 and and an Outback Bowl win. Michigan is the most winning college football program of all time. They just deserve better. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is ever going to elevate Michigan. His fifth year, and he's not showing any kind of development. The Michigan program is the embodiment of Shea Patterson pretty good, one of the better ones in the country, but taking no steps forward, no development. However, I think Michigan remembers what happened in Nebraska a few years ago with Bo Planey, what they're going through now, first with Mike Riley, now with Scott Frost, and I think Michigan is wary to fire Jim Harbaugh. That, coupled with the fact that he's a Michigan guy through and through, and he's got a massive contract they'd have to pay him out. But for the right guy, I think Michigan would be willing to buy him out. So who could that right guy be? Well, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We want to know if Harbaugh is coming back next year. At least I want to know. And that's why I asked my friends on Twitter. I wanted to ask you guys, will Jim Harbaugh return as Michigan's coach next season? There were four options on this poll. I ran Saturday during the game, so emotions I get were high, but I think it gives us a pretty accurate picture of where Michigan fans are on Coach Jim. The four options were, yes, he will return, and he should. Yes, he will return, but he shouldn't. No, he won't return, but he should. Or no, he won't return, nor should he. The top option with 43% was, Yes, he will return next year, but he shouldn't. But he shouldn't. Next most popular answer was 29%. No, he will not return, nor should he. So that tells you right there, the two most popular answers both agree that Harbaugh shouldn't be back next season should not be back next year those two have got to combine 72 percent of the vote yes he will return and he should got 22 percent no he won't return but he should got six percent so 72 percent of the audience or at least those who voted in this poll believe that jim harbaugh should not be the head coach of michigan next year will jim harbaugh return That's a different question entirely, and 65% of the listeners believe that he will return next year. So think about that. 65% of the audience believe Harbaugh will come back, but 72% doesn't want him to. I tell you what, my honest opinion, if he hasn't been fired yet, I don't think this year is going to change that unless they suffer another loss outside of Ohio State or Notre Dame. If they suffer a bad loss and they start to see the program regressing... If Michigan gets to eight, nine wins, something like that this year, then Harbaugh may be fired. But as long as he holds par and he keeps Michigan where they are, they keep treading water, like it or not, I think Harbaugh is going to stay. If the program starts taking steps back, I think that's when they'll finally cut Harbaugh. I have got a list of seven candidates who have emerged with the highest odds, according to Bet Online as the replacement to Jim Harbaugh if he doesn't return as Michigan's coach in 2020. So let's go through the list. We'll start at number seven, and I'll go through these rather quickly because I want to get to over-under. Number seven on the list, Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati, former Ohio State guy. Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State, his name is being tossed around for a few different jobs he could be a candidate for after this season. Number six on the list, it's seven to one odds according to Bet Online. Urban Meyer. I'll give you a little bit to think about that one, to chew on that a little bit. Urban Meyer as the head football coach at the University of Michigan. If he decides he wants to get back into coaching, Michigan might be the option for him. Now, would Michigan fans like that? Now, what I believe, and this isn't unique to Michigan by any means, that as long as you help the program, as long as there's a need for you and you can do your job well, the memory will fade And chances will be given. Kind of like Antonio Brown. I'm not sure when he'll play in the NFL again, but I think he will someday. Because memory fades, and there's always a need for somebody who can do the job well. That's why I believe Urban Meyer will have a shot in college football again, and why Michigan fans could end up warming up to him if he becomes the new head coach at the University of Michigan. I don't know what they have to base this on, but something made Bet Online think that Urban has the fifth best odds of anybody to be the next head football coach in Michigan. Number four on the list at five to one odds is Dino Babers. Look at the job he's done turning around Syracuse. At least last year was a good one. This year they're going through it a little bit. They're fighting it. But Dino Babers, number four on the list. Number three, Kyle Whittingham, which to be honest would be a really good hire. I know that they got blown out the other night by USC and their third-string quarterback, but look at the program that he's built there at Utah. Got to keep in mind, this is a guy who beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl back in 2009. Utah took down Alabama. That really happened this decade. Kyle Whittingham with the third-best odds to be Michigan's head coach next year. Number two, Bronco Mendenhall. If you're wondering who's that, formerly the head coach of BYU, now he's at Virginia, Hayes turned the Cavaliers into a top 25 program. The Cavaliers are ranked 21st playing Notre Dame this weekend. Bronco Mendenhall has been a winner everywhere he's gone. And he's built some really nice programs at the D1 level. He is at 3.5 to 1 odds to be Michigan's head coach next year if Jim Harbaugh doesn't return. And the guy with the best odds, the most likely candidate according to Bet Online, David Shaw. At 3 to 1 odds, the current Stanford head coach has the best odds to unseat Jim Harbaugh by 2020. Do with that what you will. Let's get to some over-under for the top 25 games this weekend. A lot of these games here that I'm going to take the over on. You got Penn State at Maryland. Nittany Lions are favored by a touchdown. I'm going to go with the over on that. A couple of weeks ago when Maryland was playing good football, yeah, I might have said that They could get within one score. Not anymore. My confidence is gone in Maryland. Probably should never have been there in the first place. Penn State, albeit they're a little bit down this year, I still like them by more than a touchdown at Maryland. Cal, five-point favorites at home against Arizona State. I'll take the over on that. Cal just went to Ole Miss, and they won that game by eight. ASU didn't put up a good fight against Colorado this weekend. I think Cal and that defense are for real. I'm going with the Golden Bears and the over this weekend against ASU and the Fighting Herms. Wisconsin, 23-point favorites at home against Northwestern. After just seeing what happened to Michigan this weekend, there's no reason for me to pick the under. There's no reason for me or anybody to think that Wisconsin will not beat Northwestern by less than 23 points, and yet I'm going to take the under. Until Wisconsin can string together back-to-back notable wins in the conference, in the Big Ten no less, where that's really tough to do even if you're Ohio State, I don't buy it. And again, that's not unique to Wisconsin. But do you realize how hard it is to blow somebody out in the Big Ten in back-to-back weeks? I think Wisconsin will win. I just don't know that it's going to be the blowout that Michigan was this weekend. Wisconsin, I'm taking the under, 23 points. Iowa, 24 points against mid-Tennessee State. That's out of conference, so I'll go over. You've got Oklahoma, 24-point favorites against Texas Tech. I'll take the over on that one. Pat Mahomes, Cliff Kingsbury, not on that Texas Tech sideline anymore. You know who is on the Oklahoma sideline, Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley. I'm going with the Sooners to cover that 24-point spread. Texas A&M, 22-point favorites at home against Arkansas. Texas A&M has been really disappointing for me this year. I thought they would be the most improved team in college football this year, but they've been really disappointing, 2-2 two and two to start the year. Yet this is Arkansas, who just got blown away, not just upset, blown away by San Jose State. So I'm gonna say yes. A&M at home, they cover the 22 point spread. Michigan State 15 point favorites over Indiana. I am gonna go with the under on this one. Spartans offense, they look pretty good against Northwestern this weekend. Can they do it in back to back games? Again, you're playing the Big Ten. That's awfully tough to do, no matter who you are or who you're playing. And Indiana has that reputation for just being pesky. They really haven't had that pesky game yet. I think that's still coming it could be this weekend. I still think Sparty wins this one, but I'm going to go by about 10 rather than 15. I'll take the under. Clemson, 26-point favorites at North Carolina, the Fighting Mac Browns. I'm taking the over on that. Alabama, 35-point favorites at home against Ole Miss. I'm taking the over on that as well. By the way, that game can be heard here Saturday afternoon at 2.30 on ESPN-UP. Notre Dame at home with Virginia, plus 11 points. I'll take the over on that. Fighting Irish by two touchdowns. Washington, 9-point favorites at home against USC I am gonna take the under I think that USC is dangerous they're down at their third string quarterback because nobody can stay healthy yet they showed how dangerous they can be taking down number 10 Utah Friday night really well played game by the Trojans I don't think that they're gonna win this one but I think it comes down to the last possession I take the under on Washington as nine point favorites against USC UCF 42 point favorites against UConn I'm gonna slightly take the under there I think UCF's offense is fine. Their quarterback play is good enough. They can put up big numbers. But UConn's not going to get blown out by 42, are they? Is UConn that bad? How about like 35? Let's hit the over-under at 35. I'm taking the under, as it said, at 42 for UCF. Oklahoma State four-point favorites at home against Kansas State. Here I'm going to make an upset pick. I am going to go with K-State to upset Oklahoma State on the road. Chris Kleiman, he's got something special building there. I'm excited to see it pay off, and this might just be the signature win that Kansas State needs. I'm going with Kansas State to pull the upset over Oklahoma State this weekend. Auburn plus 10 at home against Mississippi State. I'll take the over on that. Bo Nix has looked impressive to me at times, even a scrambly. He's a better scrambler than he is a pocket passer. And Auburn just looked good this weekend against Texas A&M. At home, I take the over on Auburn plus 10 over Mississippi State. Ohio State, 16-point favorites at Nebraska. I'm taking the over. Nebraska hasn't given me a lot of reason to think otherwise. Ohio State has. And finally, Utah, 6-point favorites at home against Washington State. Washington State blew a 30-plus point halftime lead. I don't think they're going to do it again, though. I'm going to take the under. I don't know who's going to win this one yet, though. Because Utah is coming off that loss to USC. I think they will bounce back. It's at Utah. I might say Utah by two. Utah by two points. Either way, I'm going to take the under. That is over under as we play every Monday here on the Sports Pen, and that is our show. I appreciate you tuning in and hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder that I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place for Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope that you join me. Signing off from the espn UPWZM studios, enjoy Monday Night Football. I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UP.